In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word translated transfigured in the Mark narrative is the same word St. Paul used in his letter to the Romans when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I don't usually start sermons with linguistic facts, but it is worth mentioning. When the narrator of Mark wrote, and he was transfigured before them, they weren't saying that Jesus became something altogether different. Just the opposite. The narrator is saying that Jesus changed into a form in keeping with his inner reality. His outward appearance matched his inward appearance. Linguists are keen on noting that the Greek word for transfigure is the root of our English word metamorphosis. So in a very real way, Jesus went through the same process a caterpillar goes through, except at an accelerated rate. This accelerated metamorphosis, and wouldn't that be a great book title? So puts St. Peter out of his wits, which doesn't seem too difficult to do. He, he is so out of his wits that he says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And then he says, let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And the narrator instantly inserts that Peter says that because he did not know what else to say didn't have anything else to say. And oh, how many times have we found ourselves in similar situations? Not necessarily witnessing a transfiguration, but seeing something for the first time. And instead of taking it in, of contemplating it, we begin blabbering aimlessly, terrified and undone. This might be the motive behind the divine voice's statement to listen to Jesus. Stop speaking, stop speculating, and stop drafting building plans, Peter. Instead, listen. Contemplate what it means that Moses and Elijah are flanking the Son of God on either side that you are bearing witness to Jesus as he truly is, a radiator of dazzling light and divine love. One of the temptations of a story like this is to make ourselves the heroes, the people who would have responded appropriately to this great and momentous occasion even though we know ourselves well enough to know that that might not actually be the case. I say this because there is something quieter going on in this narrative. In the episode just before this, in Mark 8, Jesus begins preparing his followers for what will eventually take place in Jerusalem how he will undergo intense suffering in concert with the rest of his work and witness as the Son of God. 
Peter then takes Jesus aside and begins rebuking him. Imagine rebuking Jesus. Much in the way one might say to one's terminally ill loved one, don't say that you're going to die. You're going to live forever. Peter cannot imagine that the healing, liberating, and dignifying ministry of Jesus can come to such a tragic end. Honestly, who would want to hear something so earth-shattering? So six days later, Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to hike with him up a high mountain, away from everyone else, as a teacher might keep a flailing but promising student after class for extra instruction. Jesus takes them atop this high mountain to bring home the fact that his eventual suffering and crucifixion in Jerusalem is linked inextricably to the glory about to be revealed with Elijah and Moses. Quote, The transfiguration cannot override the necessity of Jesus' suffering and death, writes Dr. Fame Perkins. Although God spared Moses and Elijah from the normal processes of death, not only does God's own beloved son die, but not even the affirmations of exaltation can nullify the scandal of the cross. Undergirdings, undergirding Peter's spastic reaction to the transfiguration is a deep sense of fear about Jesus' dim and apocalyptic future. Perkins goes on to say, we tend to think that Jesus is most clearly son of God in glory, not in suffering. Glory and suffering cannot be separated. If transfiguration is the event in which Jesus' outward appearance reflects his inner appearance or his inner reality, then perhaps the whole sweep of Jesus' life, his incarnation, his suffering, his death, resurrection, ascension, are all their own transfigurations. An invitation for us to see that each dimension of Jesus' identity informs, interprets, and illuminates the others. No ascension without crucifixion, no crucifixion without resurrection, no resurrection without incarnation. And if we're anything like Peter, we will at times wrestle with the inconvenient, embarrassing, and unsavory pieces of Jesus we can't quite reconcile ourselves. Our inability to reconcile the glorious Savior with the suffering servant on the cross will not keep Jesus from nagging us with the annoying reality that our life with God is often frustrating. I'm only speaking for myself. Beyond and including all of this, we are forced to face the complexities of our own lives. That we are no less loved, no less worthy just because we experience suffering, and death. 
While we have epiphanies, witness transfigurations, and get wrapped up in beautiful visions, no amount of wealth, security, or ingenuity will protect us from life's unwieldy and violent ways. A part of being baptized, of being a Christian, of following Jesus, of being filled with the Holy Spirit, is recognizing that we have not been granted a magical exemption from the human condition, but are invited to see the human condition for what it is. In Christ, the human condition is transfigured. The gift of being loved, of being seen, and being known for who we are before God. And this is not in the script. We talk a lot about transformation in Christian circles. It's a kind of a buzzword, you know, being transformed. And I, I actually get in a lot of arguments with friends over this because I really try to take seriously this word metamorphosis, a caterpillar isn't becoming something different when they become a butterfly. They're, they're becoming their full self when they become a butterfly. And I think that's what Christian transformation is. It's not us becoming someone different. It's us becoming who we were meant to be from the very beginning. The identity that we get a glimpse of when we are baptized. And it takes courage, friends, to rebuke the impulse to be in this only for the glory. To be in this only for the mountaintop experiences. To be in this only for the hype. Because most of life is not lived on the mountaintop, is it? But in the valley, in the shadow of glory. Amen.